It's interesting that, a co- like, you know, I guess because then people did come back and were desperate to find these apes. So presumably something similar happened where, like, they, the ape body that they shot in that story by Fred Beck, I think was his name, just mm-hmm. disappeared. And kind of seems like the same thing kind of happened to this guy where he just disappeared at the bottom of that canyon. Yeah, I asked about the weather because I thought, you know, if I were like an ermy journalist, I'd be like, it. he was buried by a flash avalanche or something like that. But it's like, it doesn't sound like there was enough snow on the ground for that to be feasible, for that to be plausible. Yeah, and I think all the 20 other people who were with him would have noticed that. If yeah, like, exactly. You don't yeah. just not notice an avalanche. And also what they found is skis, right? They fa- I don't think they found a skis. They found a film, like where he took a picture, there was a discarded film box. Oh. But then they found his ski tracks and he was like going crazy, like doing insane, ri- like taking insane risks that he wouldn't yeah, have taken under ordinary circumstances. Oh my God. He was like jumping over like, you know, cliffs and stuff. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, why don't you ever hear about Ape Canyon? I mean, I, uh, we've established I'm not the cryptid <laughs> expert, but like, why yeah. haven't we heard more about Ape Canyon? That sounds. I don't like, know. They don't want. They don't want us to know. They just want us to go to Mount St. Helens and hang out. And I mean, uh, Mount. Didn't we talk about how in Bigfoot One uh, that there was a story about like a bunch of dead Bigfoots like after Mount yeah, St. Helens that's erupted like famous, and the government yeah. had to go in and like evacuate all the corpses. Of yeah, I feel like that. That's like one of those like Bigfoot lore stories. It's like kind of like this is. I feel like this is much more substantiated. Like you know, both the original story and especially this like weird disappearance. Like you yeah. know, these guys seem like pretty experienced like mountain people like and you know, also, no one could find this guy i even found like an fbi thing saying that like they were still looking for this person i know i guess it's someone different never mind i thought that it was him but it's well d- i person, mean just because yeah. you mentioned that do we also want to briefly mention because i was surprised uh, yeah. i did not know this uh, but it's in the yeah. yosemite yeah yosemite mafia that wouldn't like wouldn't you know that the sort of like the series of like policy decisions that led to the creation of the Federal Bureau investigation was yeah. related to like national parks basically. And I think, let's see. Oh yeah. Here yeah. on page 57. Um, right. That, Cause it was, it was during this period where I guess they were trying to like Roosevelt was kind of trying to push back against the robber barons, cattle barons, railroad magnates, blah, blah, blah. So uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, to serve as a cat... Uh, oh, yeah. It would also, at the beginning of the 20th century, these depredations and frauds would serve as a catalyst for the establishment of what would eventually become the nation's premier law enforcement agency, the FBI. So Pulitzer Prize-winning author Tim Weiner. <laughs> Kind of yeah. sus in my book, but author of Stalin's it? Bloodlands or whatever. Yeah, Stalin uh, killed a bajillion people and other great liberal leftist academic classics. Um, sorry, <laughs> I guess he <laughs> he wrote uh, in his book Enemies, a totally not limited hangout history of the FBI. Um, <laughs> said the Republican President Roosevelt wanted to fight plutocrats. 
Not on board with Gustavus Myers. He's super TR filled. So yeah. their plunder of oil, coal, minerals, and timber on federal lands appalled him. Corporate criminals carving up public property for their private profit paid bribes to politicians to protect their land rackets. Using $1,000 bills as weapons, they ransacked millions of acres of the last American frontiers. In 1905, a federal investigation conducted by the Secret Service has had led to the indictment and conviction of Senator John H. Mitchell and Representative John H. Williamson of Oregon, both Republicans, for their roles in the pillage of the great forests of the Cascade Range. So what happened next is chronicled in a memorandum written by Special Agent Lewis Findlay, who had joined the FBI in 1911. Quote, when the convictions were overturned, Roosevelt, in his characteristic dynamic fashion, asserted that the plunderers of the public domain would be prosecuted and brought to justice. Roosevelt called Attorney General Charles J. Bonaparte to the White House and told him that he desired that the land frauds be prosecuted vigorously and directed that he obtain the necessary investigative personnel. President Roosevelt directed Bonaparte to create an investigative service within the Department of Justice subject to no other department or bureau, which would report to no one except the Attorney General. The President's order resulted in the formation of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So there you yeah. I mean, damn, These I had no idea. It's very important that, yeah, this, uh, this, yeah, it's interesting. I was under the impression that the FBI sort of like sprung out of like the vigilance committees and stuff that were created during World War One to like allegedly go after like German sympathizers and draft dodgers, but was actually used to like bust up labor unions and mm. shit. I think it was the yeah. American Protective League out of Chicago that uh, had a lot of bleed over into, like, the early FBI. Well, it does I, seem that there was a ton of bleed over between, like, hardcore, like, silk topper-type mm-hmm. Chicago politicians and, like, the early National Park leadership, basically. Or oh, there like was. Yes, leadership. Like, all these people were, yeah. Like well, I mean, we, we mentioned, um, you know, we mentioned Adder, Lawrence Rockefeller yeah. getting into yeah. this shit in the 60s. But, you know, okay. did, did you find some research about, um, let me see, about Smoky Mountains National Park, uh, basically, that oh, is well, in like, there was a North whole Carolina? There was one book about the Smoky Mountains. So. Oh, okay. They're super yeah. sus, I guess, yeah. right? Well, yeah. yeah. As far as Pilates is concerned, definitely. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah extremely sus but i didn't know you know there's there's a number of things just about in like the broader context of like the smoky mountains kind of region i guess it was really set up by what is the name uh there was like a local tycoon this is where you really see also like the touristy the bourgeois touristy aspect it was let me see wilson b townsend who was (laughs) the head of little river lumber I guess, began advertising the town of Elkmont, which was like a company town, you know, for, for logging, as a tourist destination in 1909. And within a few years, the Wonderland Hotel and the Appalachian Club had been established to cater to elite Knoxvillians seeking summer mountain getaways. In the early 1920s, several Appalachian Club members, among them Knoxville businessman Colonel David Chapman, began seriously considering a movement to establish a national park in the Great Smokies. As head of the Great Smoky Mountains Park Commission, Chapman was largely responsible for raising funds for land purchases and coordinating park efforts between local, state, and federal entities. And But then they also, I think, eventually got a very prominent backer. 
it's funny if you go to the actual national park thing it's like very like environmental like disney washed mm-hmm. of like yeah. in the 20th century there was too much logging from these like timber monopolies so a bunch of like great people got together to like <laughs> preserve the land yeah. yeah it literally says uh, because cut and run style clear cutting was destroying the natural beauty of the area by the 20th century visitors and locals banded together to raise money for preservation of the land so mm-hmm. i wonder what i wonder which visitors and locals banded <laughs> together so the national the u.s National Park Service wanted a park in the eastern U.S., but did not have much money to establish one. David Chapman, who we just mentioned, a Knoxville, Tennessee business leader, was appointed in 1925 to head a commission to establish a national park here. Congress authorized the park in 1926, but there was no nucleus of federally owned land around which to develop with. Uh, to develop it. So uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr. contributed $5 million, the U.S. government added $2 million, and private citizens from Tennessee and North Carolina pitched in to assemble the land for the park piece by piece. Slowly, mountain homesteaders, miners, and loggers were evicted from the land. Farms and timbering operations were abolished to establish the protected areas of the park. Travel writer Horace Kephart, for whom Mount Kephart was named, and photographers uh, Jim Thompson and George Massa were instrumental in fostering the development of the park. Former Governor Ben W. Hooper of Tennessee was the principal land purchasing agent for the park, which was officially established in June 1934. So then, and then they brought in the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps. So you know, just like with a little help from my friends, like John D. Rockefeller Jr. They were able to basically force everybody off of this land and, you know, turn it into an amazing uh, national park. And so so there you go with the Rockefellers again, you know, very interested in this shit like early on. And uh, yeah, also with Great Smokey, that 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 Wonderland Hotel and that Appalachian Club. Very kind of interesting. That's one of those. I wouldn't I don't know if I'd put it on a level of like Bohemian Grove, but that is one of those like or maybe like Lake Geneva. That's like mm-hmm. one of those like sus bourgeois clubs that basically yeah. was very uh, prominent. And then the Wonderland Hotel, you know, was very prominent. It built in 1911 in Alcamont. And that was like the headquarters kind of of this like Appalachian club. But then, you know, guess wow. what? It uh, it mysteriously burned down in a terrible oh, fire in 2016 wow, in that 2016. is still being investigated. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, I mean it is shut mm, it it shut mm, down in 1992, but uh just saying, uh, hmm, mm, you know, get rid of all the evidence. Yeah. So yeah, I don't oh yeah. and also what's just outside of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, I think our our uh, friends the Trillbillies will appreciate this, but none other than Dollywood. Dolly oh, Parton's wow. theme park is uh in Pigeon Forge near the gateway to the Great Smoky Mountains. Damn, Dollywood is such a weird. Um, park. I'm just like, looking at Dollywood right now. Like, go to yeah. go to the Wikipedia and just look at like the logo they have uploaded for Dollywood. <laughs> oh wow, folks! Ah, <laughs> yeah, folks. Why is the W a butterfly? Yeah, I know. Oh, I guess that Dolly probably yeah. loves butterflies. She's perfect. She's they an are angel. much beloved animal, I guess. She opened. Wait, she opened. Oh, she must have bought this park because it opened in 1961. Hold on. What the? Okay, yeah, it was opened as a small tourist attraction owned by the Robbins Brothers from Blowing Rock, North Carolina, named Rebel Railroad. (laughs) It included a steam train, general store, blacksmith shop, and saloon with a theme inspired by the centennial anniversary of the Civil War. 
the train ride let visitors experience, quote, attacks by Union soldiers, train robbers, and Indians. The train and its riders were protected by Confederates who fought off the attacks. What? The park oh, was great. modeled after the Robbins Brothers' first successful theme park, Tweetsie Railroad in Blowing Rock. What the? F- so it's like an experience, like experience the magical Confederate States of America and get attacked by like evil Union soldiers. That's like, hilarious. <laughs> what Damn. the fuck? Okay. Oh my God. So I guess, okay, then in 1970, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, Art Modell, bought Rebel Railroad and renamed it Gold Rush Junction. So I guess we're getting slightly more progressive. We're just going uh-huh. to like the Gold Rush of the West. They, they retained the railroad and added a theater and a Robert F. Thomas church. So they do allow churches in um, Gold Rush Junction. Then it became Silver Dollar City in 1976. It was, I guess, the sister park to the original Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. And they added new trains and uh, actually took, like, trains from the White Pass and Yukon Route Railroad. So I guess, you know, real railroads. And then Dolly Parton bought into it in 86. And then it in that same year, it was rebranded as uh, Dollywood. Yeah. And that's, you know, basically what it is today so but wow i mean rebel railroad <laughs> in 1961 when kennedy was president that is something i mean yeah kind of makes sense but surprising yeah it does make but, sense that is i mean, I mean that it's kind of like what disneyland like really is it just hides it but true, like underneath yeah. the surface disneyland is rebel railroad where it's like <laughs> yeah definitely you know, like oh you're going through the jungle land like watch out for the natives you know and it's like that kind of vibe yeah but definitely. For access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad. All aboard, leave the baggage at the door, get punched like a heavy bag if you're bringing yours. Can't take it with you, got the better chance getting through TSA with the bag full of pistols, only for the fiscals. Used to turn to half with the stems and the seeds to a bag full of nickels. People at the top get paid, then claim that the wealth might trickle. And this is my issue, down to the people. Equation still broken, cause the first two numbers don't make what they equal. It is pure evil, a civil war fought All the old thoughts represent a bald eagle The money goes missing Like the parks department for 11 Quick disappearance, no weapon The funds might vanish Offshore accounts where they speak Catalan or Italian or Spanish You can't repair the damage They might find your body in some mission. Looking all bruised, looking famished For adrenochrome in a tablet You know they gotta have it Name a billionaire that isn't savage Using every cop as security Every single body that they drop Based on fear and insecurity Living in the country where we never have stability Living in the world where they gangbang spiritually It's all a big scheme with the pyramid It's all a big dream If you chase it, there's a chance you'll disappear in it All that other shit, I'm not hearing it If it's not arm, leg, leg, arm, head, God, fear and shit Lucky number seven Lucky number missing for 11 People try to buy their way to heaven you can't take it with you Can't bring possessions on the train When it's time to go, they will remain That's a fly chain, but you can't take it with you Better flex hard before the reaper comes to get you Can't live forever, no vampire bitch Tuck everlasting, intermittent fasting Fasting when you look at some of these cases, you have to consider possibilities with which we are really uncomfortable. You know, as 
a rational society. We're uncomfortable thinking about what else could be out there. But some of these situations are so unusual, you have to think beyond the bounds of what's normal, what's a normal explanation for this.